Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Welcome, everybody, to the Lakers Legacy Podcast, where if you were looking to give Rob Palenka a pat on the back for his offseason moves this summer, well, you can hold off on that because he literally just got a pat back (laughs) by trading away Taylor Horton Tucker and Stanley Johnson to the Utah Jazz for 34-year-old defensive guard, the infamous Patrick Beverly. Mm-hmm. But the real work has only just begun from here, as the Lakers' first real mini-domino of the offseason has finally fallen. It wasn't the domino we were all expecting, but it is a domino nonetheless. I'm your host, Jonathan Hernandez, and I'm joined by my co-host, Tommy Alexander. Tommy, Patrick Beverly is a Laker. Oh, God. So Beverly Hills, indeed. (laughs) Anyways, we are recording this podcast in a very shoddy, on-the-fly sort of way. We didn't plan to record today, so just bear in mind that we are fitting this quick instant reaction pod into both of our schedules, and our thoughts may be kind of scattered and unorganized, but they will be our raw thoughts. So before we get started, please remember to rate and review us five stars on the Apple Podcast app, or if you don't use the Apple Podcast app, then please head over to the Spotify app and tap the five-star button at the top of our page. We're trying to get to... 100 stars before training camp starts, and we're almost certain of it that once we get that 100 star, Russell Westbrook will no longer be a Laker. So help <laughs> us out and help our Laker sanity out by doing all of that. Anyway, Tommy, let's jump into things because we're a little short on time. Now, we expected some sort of Lakers trade to occur between now and training camp, which is only a few weeks away, which is crazy, but we did not anticipate a Patrick Beverly deal to be the first trade that happens. And we definitely did not anticipate a solo Patrick Beverly deal to occur in isolation. On top of that, THT and the surprising inclusion of Stanley Johnson were also a bit unexpected, uh, especially because according to Mark Stein about a month ago, the Lakers were reportedly not willing to trade THT for Patrick Beverly straight up. So maybe something changed there or maybe that report was um, incorrect. But you know what? The trade has happened. Patrick Beverly, one of the loudest, most brashest, most irrationally confident guards the league has ever known, is now a Laker. You hate him when he's on the other team, and you kind of may still hate him when he's on your team, but he'll likely (laughs) grow on you as long as you're winning, right? Um, And he's undeniably, typically, been on winning teams. So, Tommy, what are your raw thoughts and emotions about this Patrick Beverly deal? Okay, so my initial gut reaction was definitely 
I don't like the deal. Um, you know, we had sort of like, you know, this deal had come up in passing from time to time over the last, I don't know, month or two months since uh, the Go Bear trade happened. And, you know, I kind of thought about it in the abstract. And I think, you know, as I've sort of sat with it a little bit, I do think a lot of the initial disappointment was simply due to the fact that I'm just not a Pat Bev fan. I know everybody yeah. says... You know, there are those players where you hate them when they're on the other team, but you love them when they're on your team. And I all in response to that, I always said, for me, the two guys who will never fall in that category are Pat Bev and like Draymond Green. You know, I just like for some reason (laughs) have never been a fan of the way those guys play. I mean, you know, as I've sat with it a little bit, I think I've I've actually liked the trade a little bit more. Um but, you know, we can get into the specifics as as we discuss here. Yeah, I think I'm on the same sentiment trajectory as you. Uh, because initially, I was kind of surprised and not really feeling it. But I think the more that I've been able to really think about Patrick Beverly in connection to preceding moves that could occur, the more I've sort of liked the gamble. And it's yeah. not really a gamble with a veteran, right? But I guess my first true reaction was... Goddamn, leave it to Palinka and the Lakers to always find a way to get shorter, right? <laughs> because with Stanley and THT going out, we legitimately gave up size and length in this deal, both in height with THT at 6'4 and, and Stanley Johnson at 6'6, uh, but also wingspan with THT's ridiculous 7'1 wingspan and Stanley Johnson with his 7'0 wingspan. Now, we obviously gained tremendous defensive acumen and a tried and true history on that end with Patrick Beverly, but I guess we just got even less wingier. Um, yeah. But outside of that, thinking about the deal more from a macro sense in a vacuum, initially and from a sentimental standpoint, I was honestly a bit bummed. I, I understand we're in a win-now situation. LeBron James' window is short. He just re-signed uh, his extension. But I personally held both Taylor Horton Tucker and Stanley Johnson in high regard, and not just for the things they do on the court, because obviously neither of them have truly found a true footing in this league yet, and their skill sets are somewhat replaceable and ill-fitting in THT sense. On top of that, we weren't sure about their roles on the roster this year, yada yada. But with THT still not even being 22 yet, Stanley Johnson finally finding his identity in the league as this do-it-all utility sort of wing with us um, last year, I kind of had high hopes for both of them this year under Darvin Ham's tutelage. Uh, In the case of THT, he was given an unfair hand last season being shackled by Russell Westbrook, and I kind of wanted to see how Ham could mold him into his system this year as potentially being more of this Bruce Brown Jr. sort of bully ball guard who would make his name on the defensive end and then could also flash his creation upside in certain bursts as far as THT is concerned. And then with Stanley Johnson, outside of his, you know, great, eloquent, self-aware interviews, and him being this hometown kid from L.A., him resurrecting and reviving his career as a Laker last year was really cool to see. Um, And his hard-nosed, put-your-head-down-and-go-to-work sort of mentality and play style seemed to perfectly fit the type of player that Darvin Ham truly loves to work with. And I would have wanted to at least see what the Ham effect would have looked like on these two guys. Yeah. And I know Jovan Buha has said that THT and Stanley seem to be on the outside looking in rotation-wise this upcoming year, but I honestly take those types of reports with a grain of salt because training camp hasn't even started yet, and 
That's literally what training camp is for, right? Truly solidifying roles, assessing camp battles, and recognizing who truly improved in the summer. So nothing is etched in stone yet, so there's no way to truly know who's on the outside looking in. Right. Um, now, with regards to my initial Patrick Beverly sentiments, I don't necessarily have the same strong disdain for him as you do, though I will admit that his brash nature, his crazy antics, his boneheaded, dirty flagrants on opposing players at times are very annoying, but... I'm more so in a place of wariness because of all the point guard PTSD we've had to undergo the last few seasons with Schroeder, then Westbrook, and now Patrick Beverly, and honestly, even sometimes with Rondo at the start of his tenure with the Lakers. But when it comes to all of these high-variance polarizing point guards who are very eccentric in their own right, I feel like after every year we've had to reset ourselves to one of these new guards, I've always found myself going... Well, this new guy can't be any worse than the last dude, right? After the Schroeder season, when we acquired Russell Westbrook, I said, well, Westbrook can't be any worse than the Schroeder experience. And boy, was I wrong. (laughs) And now with Westbrook presumably on the way out, and now that we have another sort of polarizing guard in Patrick Beverly replacing him, even though on paper everything says that Patrick Beverly is the perfect fit and he's going to be a perfect replacement for Russell Westbrook, Obviously, I, I want to tell myself, it can't get any worse than Russell Westbrook. And I highly doubt that it can, but a part of me is still cautious about how all of this goes because of the constant face plants we've had at that position recently. So yeah, those were my two initial reactions when the deal dropped, uh, mainly one of PTSD. Mm. Okay, so let's move on. Uh, but before we move on and dive any further into the specifics of this deal, I did want to get your quick thoughts on the implications of the Lakers actually pulling off this deal and what that means, and namely the implications of what it means with regards to the Lakers' pursuit of Kyrie Irving. Because with recent news coming out that KD and the Nets have made up and Kyrie is content to play out the rest of this season with KD, um, and the Brooklyn Nets are moving forward with being this competitive team, competitive contending team, it seems that the Lakers, with this deal, finally made the decision to pivot. So where do you stand on the loss of a hypothetical Kyrie Irving trade? Because it is quite a steep fall to go from Kyrie Irving to Patrick Beverly, but with LeBron's extension and this trade now happening for the Lakers, by all accounts, even as it pertains to 2023 cap space, of which the Lakers will have a lot of, but not enough for a true max of Kyrie's caliber, by all accounts, the Kyrie Lakers dream is dead. So are you disappointed in any way by that? I'm not disappointed in the sense that I never viewed Kyrie as realistic unless Kevin Durant got traded. So once mm-hmm. Kevin Durant was, you know, I'm back on board, we're playing next season, I knew Kyrie was going to was gonna stay. Yeah. You know, you have to keep in mind that the only thing, like a lot of stuff happens, right? And then people start running away with, thoughts and and then like those runaway thoughts sort of become facts but they're not actually facts the facts that happened were Kyrie Irving said you know if you're not going to give me an extension consider trading me to one of these teams that would give me an extension and the Nets didn't do that once Kyrie opted in a hundred percent of what he said has been I'm in and even when Kevin Durant demanded a trade 
there was no separate trade demand from Kyrie Irving. It's just that people assumed that if you're going to trade Kevin Durant, you're probably going down a rebuild sort of path, and you're probably not going to keep Kyrie Irving in that circumstance. And in that case, the Lakers make a compelling case because for a one-year rental, you know, the Lakers are one of the few teams where Kyrie said he would, or, you know, it was... It was widely thought, I guess, that Kyrie would extend and, you know, blah, blah, blah. So the Lakers could make you a compelling offer because of all these factors. Everything else was just sort of speculation. So once you took away the Kevin Durant angle, it's like Kyrie was never really possible. And so for that reason, it's like we never really had a shot with him. You you know, if, you know, we slightly, I guess, improved our odds to sign him as a free agent, although we're not going to be able to sign him as a free agent, to be clear. Um, and, you know, otherwise, I'm I'm not really too fussed about that. Yeah, that's fair. But I would say we still got to a point this summer where things really seemed like they were headed for a Kyrie Irving Lakers union and that all signs were pointing towards this purple and gold flat earth scenario. Like <laughs> the last podcast we had with you, me and Alan, we all said that we'd already gone down this Kyrie Irving rabbit hole in our minds and we would definitely be distraught and disappointed if the whole trade falls apart but obviously it's been a month since that last episode that we had and for me because of how long and drawn out the process ended up being on this Kyrie Irving front for me personally the the reason why I'm not as disappointed as I thought I would be with us having to pivot away from it is mainly because I just got to a state of absolute boredom with it the whole scenario Because of how long and repetitive and looping the news cycle was on everything Kyrie Irving, Brooklyn Nets, and Kevin Durant, a lot of air just got let out of the balloon for me. So by the time the Nets decided to move forward with this unified approach, I was kind of sick of waiting around anyways. And so much of the Kyrie hype momentum was lost for me that a pivot seemed like a breath of fresh air. So even though the Pat Bev thing is not the domino we expected, I'm at least glad we finally got somewhat of a domino to fall to get the ball rolling. So for you, where do you think that ball goes from here? And what are the implications of this Patrick Beverly pivot outside of moving away from Kyrie Irving? So is Russell Westbrook now truly gone? Does an Indiana package or a Utah package come next or a Utah part two package come next? Uh, What are your thoughts on where this all goes from here? I mean, I think it's a true pivot. Again, I think, though, that, you know, you can't ignore the fact that the Kyrie trade was never going to happen in a vacuum. I think to the extent we were like, yeah, we're going to be disappointed. It's because as of, you know, a few weeks ago or a month ago, it seemed pretty certain that Kevin Durant was going to be traded. I mean, he demanded a trade and then he doubled down on that request and only recently was like, you know, I'm not going actually, actually it's fine. I'm not going to be traded. It's pretty rare that we've gotten to this point, especially in recent years, right? Like in recent years, there's actually more of a precedent for guys like Ben Simmons, for example, being like, okay, well I'm literally not going to play. And so like, if, it seemed more likely that Katie was going to get traded than we would reach that point. But Katie actually took like the more, you know, I guess if you want to go back and compare it to other stars, like he's actually more similar to Kobe where it was a very firm, I want to trade, you know, the team couldn't find a trade that was satisfactory to them. There were all these guaranteed years left on the contract. So they just decided to move forward. So I, I, I don't know. Yeah, I, makes I, sense. I, I guess like I never, I, 
that's the last thing I'll say about that because I guess I just never viewed the Kyrie and KD situations as being mutually exclusive. I always viewed them as sort of a tandem. Um, yeah. But in terms of what this means for us long term, I mean, look, it 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 is a win now move. There's no denying that. Like THT has a good amount of upside, but Patrick Beverly started, you know, 54 games, you know, for a playoff team in the West last year. He's been on playoff teams for most of the last, I don't know, most of the last, actually most of his career he's been on playoff teams. Um, and for a good chunk of that, he's been a starting point guard. And so, you know, whether or not you think THT has as much upside as others think, I, you know, it, there's no denying that in terms of, 2022-2023 for the current roster that we have constructed, Patrick Beverly probably makes more sense. Beyond that, I don't know, right? It's like beyond that, you don't know what THT is going to turn into. You don't really know if you're going to retain Patrick Beverly. So all of that is like still in flux. But I think, you know, with the with the LeBron aging with a sort of two-year window or before we know what's going to happen with LeBron and Bronny and whether LeBron's going to leave or whatever, I think this trade kind of makes sense. Yeah, it does. Um, so to dig a little deeper into some of our pros and cons sentiments of this deal, you know, initially you stated that you had a very viscerally negative reaction to the trade just because of who Patrick Beverly is as a character. Um, to jump off of that point and to go back to that point, Outside of what I already kind of said about my initial disappointments with not getting to see THT and Stanley Johnson grow with Ham and this team, I think I'm also a bit disappointed from a philosophical standpoint, mainly because of what THT and Stanley Johnson for Patrick Beverly represents as a trade package. As I mentioned, yes, short window for LeBron, yes, win now mode. I understand all these things and I don't bemoan the trade uh, in general, but I kind of felt like we could have addressed the win-now mode side of things with the Russell Westbrook trade and the two firsts that will eventually have to go out without necessarily abandoning some of our homegrown talent that we developed and invested into. So kind of that have your cake and eat it too. You know, I feel like we could have gotten the necessary veterans while still kind of undergoing a wait-and-see approach with THT and Stanley Johnson. As I mentioned with Stanley, he's a reclamation project that we were able to help revive and we found this like role player gem. He was one of the best silver linings of last year. And I guess I'm just a bit bummed that we're doing this trading long-term potential for short-term potential gain thing again, right. even though I perfectly understand the necessity of it. But, you know, just that notion that we are again, as is the case with all of our young core guys, even the ones who won with us in Caruso and Kuzma, it just kind of sucks that we are very rarely able to reap the benefits of our own organic internal development, and we'll always have to end up seeing these guys truly flourish elsewhere. Now, a lot of that makes sense because of because it's hard to develop and grow on a team like LeBron James and Anthony Davis, but I think you guys get the gist of what I'm trying to say. And then with THT, you know, from a sentimental standpoint, he's the last remaining remnant from the 2020 championship team, apart from LeBron James and Anthony Davis, and Outside of the lowest of lows we've seen from him the last couple seasons, we've also seen some of the highest of highs from him with regards to some unicorn with regards to some unicorn type play because of his unicorn length and his unorthodox style of basketball. Um, and I think there's a lot baked into THT in this trade because a lot of people have PTSD from 
just how we've bungled and mismanaged THT's entire career from the very beginning, yeah. from not giving him a longer rookie-scale contract. We only gave him a two-year contract. Uh, from unnecessarily pitting him against Alex Caruso because of luxury tax reasons, and because we only gave him a two-year contract and had to make a quick decision on him uh, sooner than we needed to, right. to giving him that contract, that $10 million contract that he couldn't live up to, to last year shackling him with Russell Westbrook right after giving him that contract to now, um, where, you know, seeing the consequences of all everything that we did, now we're just legitimately selling low on this guy. And that's not a knock on Patrick Beverly, obviously, because he is a valuable player, but it can't be argued. We pretty much helped plummet THT's trade value. Yeah. And we know he'll rebound accordingly in a situation like Utah where he'll have more space to spread his wings, a la Kuzma, um, and literally every other previous Young Core member we've ever had. But yeah, there's a very conceivable reality in which the aggregate value of THT and Stanley Johnson will surpass what Patrick Beverly gives us, maybe even as early as next year. And, you know, for me, that's a bit of a tough pill to swallow, knowing it didn't necessarily have to reach this point, if not for some very blatant missteps along the way. And I guess I'm just a little tired of, again, not being able to reap the benefits of investments we've put into the guys that we've actually found organically, whether that's because of our own mismanagement or us being too short-sighted. The constant renegade mercenary roster flipping can be a little frustrating, is all I'm saying. Well, but mainly the selling low on THT part also just kind of sucks. So I don't know if you have any thoughts on that. Well, here is my one point on the sell low that I'll make, you know, just to respond to that. I actually viewed THT's contract as a lose-lose. I, I have mm-hmm. viewed it as that, like, like all summer, really. Because the problem with THT's contract, right, was like... If he has a better than expected year, he's going to opt out and you're probably going to use lose him to a younger team, you know, that's more willing to overpay for somebody like him. And if he plays as expected, meaning in my opinion as he played last season or even if he regresses again, you know, in this sort of wonky lineup that we've put together, He's going to opt in and then you're just going to have a contract, an expiring contract that's going to be kind of a pain to move again. True. Um you know, so it like you kind of have to view THT's value in the vacuum of this offseason because, you know, even going into the season at the trade deadline of THT's balling out, but like we think we can sell them high and get somebody at a position of need. You can't necessarily sell him high at the trade deadline because what team would take him thinking this dude's going to opt out and just become an unrestricted free agent? You know, so it, it like it. And then if he sucks, then it's like, what team is going to take him being like, well, this guy sucks. And now he's going to opt into 10 million next year. So it's like, you weren't really in a great situation with this contract. And I think the Lakers just bet that like in a vacuum, you know, looking at just this coming year, they think that Pat Bev might give more to this roster than THT did. And look, I think as hard as it was for me to reconcile that you, you know, Pat Bev is now going to be on this team, you know, Pat Bev is still an NBA, a legit NBA rotation player. He's been a starter for most of his career on playoff caliber teams. And he's especially thrived right on teams that don't really need a primary ball handler in the starting lineup. And you get that. Plus you shed like THT's potential uh, opt-in salary for next summer and on top of all of that, you didn't spend any picks. So I, I kind of see 
you know, what the thinking was here. Of course, the risk of all of this, you know, is that Pat Bev is past his prime. And, you know, you can look back at last season, he was relatively healthy, but that's two seasons prior to that. He was pretty, you know, unhealthy. He's had like, you know, ups and downs in terms of availability and health. And he's not necessarily like a super high minutes guy. I mean, he's been playing, you know, hovering in the mid to low 20s for the past few years. So the concern is with Pat Bev, is he going to be able to stay on the court at 34 years old? If he can stay on the court, I think the trade makes a lot of sense. Um, But if he can't, you know, that's another that's another question. Yeah, and that's also my biggest question and concern with regards to Patrick Beverly as well. But to go back to your THD contract point for a second, with regards to him being too good to opt out of his player option or so bad that we're stuck with him opting into that player option next season, I think there's actually a middle ground THT could have hit here under Darvin Ham where without Russell Westbrook and with a full season to develop with no knick-knack injuries bothering him like they did last season... I feel like THT could have become that Bruce Brown Jr. ultimate role player type that would have been able to help this team defensively while still being able to flash his unicorn skills and upside and help in winning ways without necessarily breaking out as this superstar player because you can't really break out next to LeBron James and Anthony Davis. And that's just the nature of being on that type of team. So... I think we would have been able to get that happy medium of THT where he wouldn't have sucked, he could have legitimately helped this team, but he also wouldn't have broken out enough to have wanted to opt out of his $11 million player option next year anyways. Does that make sense? So it's almost like he would have lived up to the value of his contract. Yeah. But yeah, anyways, back to your main concerns with Patrick Beverly. I mentioned to you over text after the trade happened that My biggest fear is that Pat Bev becomes our new version of Avery Bradley. So like Avery Bradley with rabies, the (laughs) rabid version of AD where, you know, when we first acquired Avery Bradley, he was 28 years old and we probably had one really solid year of effectiveness with Avery Bradley during that first championship run where he played pretty well during the regular season, especially towards the tail end of things. Um, And then obviously we had that stoppage and he didn't go into the bubble with us. But with regards to that year, he was really good. Yeah. But after that, he bounced around the league a little bit, went to the Miami Heat, then got traded to Houston, was in Golden State's uh, training camp last summer, and then finally returned to us before the season began. And I think from every stop along the way, and especially when he played for us last year, we really saw uh, Avery's effectiveness start to fall off a cliff. And I mean, as recently as last year, he was still, you know, the active on-ball harasser. He's always been on defense, but I feel like all the other parts of his game started to really regress. His team defense and awareness was more lacking. He was starting to get blown by more and more often. And then outside of the general loud, handsy, A-B things he still does on defense, he had just fallen off everywhere else. And I'm a little concerned that we may be getting Patrick Beverly at a time when he's about to have his own Avery Bradley-like downturn in his career. Yeah. Because Avery was 28 when we got him, and Pat's already 34, you know? So there's already that difference. And last year, we already started to see a bit of a regression from Pat Bev, uh, with regards to shooting, at least, in Minnesota, where he only shot 34% from three on a lower volume. Although I guess, you know, Sam Vecini has pointed out that he did shoot a lot more 
pull up off the dribble three. So that probably accounts for his lower three point percentage, but it's like 5% lower than he typically shoots at around, you know, 38 or 39%. But regardless to Pat Bev's credit, he still obviously brought the fight grit and intensity that that young Timberwolves team needed from him. He definitely set the culture well, was still a really good active rebounder at his position and still played solid defense. And he actually had a really good playmaking year for them. He averaged almost five assists in just 25 minutes, which is crazy. So, you know, in comparison to Avery, Pat Bev is definitely a much better playmaker who can do a little bit more off the dribble than I feel like Avery Bradley can. But I guess with the shooting regression and another year under his belt, are you concerned that we're doing this classic Lakers thing we like to do where it always seems like we're getting a player three or four years too late? Right. Past his most effective period. And... You know, to the extent that Patrick Beverly does work out for us next year, what does his future with us look like if we're trying to keep 2023 cap space open? My biggest fear is that Patrick Beverly does turn into this Avery Bradley-like type player who becomes almost deified in Darvin Ham's eyes. And because he's such a force on and off the court and is so infectious that I feel like Ham will just fall in love with him past his expiration date. And... While I do want some continuity and I would like to re-sign Patrick Beverly for more than just this next year, just to keep that consistency going, obviously at a shorter or at a lower price, the downside of signing him to a two or three year deal from here is that we end up seeing him and Ham fall deeper and deeper in love with each other the same way that Frank Vogel fell in love with Avery Bradley past the point of no return. Yeah, And, and you can already see with just how loud Patrick Beverly plays on the court and how much he affects the momentum of a game for better or for worse, I I just see things going the way of Frank Vogel and Avery Bradley, where Vogel, by the end of things, was overplaying, grossly overplaying Avery Bradley purely because he liked the effect Bradley was emanating out on the court every time he stepped out there, even though it was clear to everyone else that Avery Bradley was past his point of effectiveness. Right. And then on top of that, just because of Pat Bev's high variance in personality and play style, kind of like Russell Westbrook, that uber polarizing sort of guard, I'm concerned that we're going to get the Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde version of things where we end up getting more of the Mr. Hyde end uh, this season and seasons to come. So, so I don't know if you have any thoughts on those concerns. Yeah, I, and that is, that is going to be the number one biggest concern with Pat Bev is is not necessarily in my opinion the role point that you were making but more the um that we're getting him on the downswing he is Mm -hmm. 34 years old and the thing that I actually I think a better parallel for me you know instead of AB is probably like more like Danny Green like when we signed Danny Green he had just come off a season where he was very effective on a playoff team in fact obviously his team had won the championship he was with the Raptors the prior year right But he was extremely old and you always got the sense that like, are we getting him at the absolute edge of his effectiveness or are we getting him in a situation where he can actually continue to help us? So that gamble paid off for us. Danny Green had a solid year and although he, you know, kind of faded a little bit as we got deep into the playoffs, he played a substantial role on that team that ended up winning an NBA championship. And so you sort of hope that like Pat Bev 
you're going to get that same sort of impact. I'm not really too concerned about the AB effect for a variety of reasons. Number one, AB is like, AB was not Pat Bev. If AB, if AB was Pat Bev, we would have been a lot better in the last few years. You know what I mean? The problem with AB was always like, people were misconstruing like his energy and his effort for actual like on-court impact. Yeah. Pat Bev to this day at 33, you know, 33 years old as he was last season, you know, is still a top tier point of attack defender in the NBA by pretty much any advanced metric, you know, you can find. Yeah. Um, Pat Bev is still like a career, I think it's some high, it's like 38 or 40% catch and shoot three, point shooter. He's a career 38% three-point shooter. He had a drop last year, which again, to your point, is a little bit concerned about the regression. But for one, two, three, four, five, six, seven years in a row prior to that, he shot between 38 and 40%. So he's been pretty consistent from three. He can hit a free throw. <laughs> he doesn't really turn the ball over. And I think the biggest thing is like, he knows who he is. You know what I mean? Pat Bev is not a dude who's taking like a bunch of mid-range shots. Two-thirds of his attempts are three-pointers. And a large majority of those attempts are um, catch-and-shoot threes. So I'm less worried about like, you know, Pat Bev like bringing this like rabid intensity and then everybody, you know, getting too hyped on it. And then, you know, you end up in a situation with a, like with AB where you just – this guy just gets severely overplayed. I, I'm less worried about that, and I'm more worried about him just, like, physically breaking down and us not being able to utilize him. Because we clearly traded for this guy to be, like, our starting point guard. And if he's breaking down, like, we don't have a ton of depth at point guard. We have Kendrick Nunn, who we don't know if he's a starting point guard. He was a borderline, you know, maybe start, but really more of a bench player, even pre-injury. And we have no idea what he's going to look like post-injury. Um, so, you know, getting Pat Bev is like, it, you know, you, did you get a starter? I don't know. You got a starter like in the most literal sense, but I don't know if he's going to be able to stay on the floor is the problem. Yeah. And that's pretty much what I'm wor most worried about as well. How startery is starter Beverly truly going to remain? So yeah, I agree with you there. And I will say to your point about comping him to Danny Green in terms of career trajectory instead of Avery Bradley, uh, I just wanted to add that one main one other main difference between Pat Bev and Avery Bradley that I forgot to mention outside of his playmaking is just organically and functionally speaking, Patrick Beverly is just the more stronger and more physical player than Avery Bradley. They both have a great motor and good fundamentals defensively, but Pat Bev is definitely more the sturdier, more muscular, smaller guard who's less likely to get pushed around than Avery Bradley is. I feel like Avery Bradley is slighter in frame. And at this stage of each of their careers, even though Patrick Beverly is older than Avery Bradley by like three years, I think Patrick Beverly is still a lot more athletic than Avery Bradley at this point. He still does yeah. a lot of really athletic things, like getting these crazy block shots on guards, wings, and big men alike. I mean, he's really jumping up to get these blocked shots. And, you know, him always crashing the boards and getting these contested rebounds, I, I think that's one area we've seen less and less of from, from Avery Bradley, and something that Patrick Beverly, even at age 34, still kind of has left in the tank. So I think from an athleticism standpoint... 
uh, you combine that with Pat Bev's relentless motor, I think he has more overall functional athleticism than Avery Bradley does at this point. Um, but yeah, I think that's a good time to transition us into more of the specific positives of Pat Bev's game that have caught our eyes in light of this trade. So let's take it to break first, and after the turn, more Pat Bev talk. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. All right, so we're back. Tommy, you've already kind of mentioned some of the aspects of Pat Bev's game that have intrigued you, but just to crystallize things a bit more, what are some of the biggest positives you can garner from this sort of deal? For me, off the bat, just the fact that Pat Bev's inclusion to this team may mean that Russell Westbrook is out the door and that the Lakers will likely forego a Dennis Schroeder reunion. For that alone, making sure that two of the Lakers point guards that I've hated the most outside of Smush Parker in my own Lakers fanhood history, (laughs) making sure that those two don't ever don the purple and gold again, Pat Bev being this Westbrook slash Schroeder ad blocker, essentially, that to me is already a win in my books when assessing the pros and cons of this trade. And then from there, thinking about the dichotomy between Westbrook and Pat Bev, both players who have a lot of pride who both do such brash and loud in-your-face things with everything that they do. Whereas Westbrook was all bark and sort of no bite by the end of things, as we saw last season, especially with regards to focusing in on the little things that matter that help a team win. And you know, rightfully so in Westbrook's case, because of the Hall of Fame superstar pedigree he's grown up with. As opposed to Westbrook's version of bark, Pat Bev at least can back up his bark with actual meaningful nitty-gritty role player-like attentiveness to all of those little things that need to get done in order to help uphold our superstars, which Westbrook was not able to uphold because he was more concerned with still proving that he was a superstar. Right. Whereas Pat Bev has always just been Pat Bev, and that's largely due to his own upbringing and journey in the NBA. And as you all know, this is sort of a poetic homecoming of sorts for for Patrick Beverly, who was drafted by the Lakers with the 42nd pick in the 20 in the 2009 draft before being traded to the Miami Heat. 
But all along the way in his career, Pat Bev has had to bounce around overseas before even playing in the NBA. Um, Once he finally got into the league, he didn't even play for the Miami Heat. He had to prove himself with the Houston Rockets. And then he went to the Clippers, bounced around to the Wolves last season, and now he's with the Lakers. But all along the way, he's always had to really scrape and fight for his spot in the league and prove his value and worth to everyone. And he did that mainly by being tenacious on defense and using his motor to his advantage. And that has carried him through all the way till now. And I think just by virtue of that and the actual type of bark we'll get from him this year versus the one that we had with Westbrook last year, which was more superficial... I think it's going to be such a vast difference seeing someone who will crash the boards on every possession, someone who will always be chasing his man around, who doesn't care about his touches offensively. You know, Darvin Ham has said this offseason that he's wanted to fashion Russell Westbrook into being his version of Drew Holiday in terms of being more of a defensive guard who plays more off ball. But, you know, we all knew that was never going to happen with Russ. He's not a very self-aware person, and given the fact that he's liking all these tweets on Twitter about how he's been wronged, that was never going to happen. Yeah. But with Patrick Beverly, you're, you're actually getting closer and closer to that Drew Holiday template that Darvin Ham wanted to mold Russell Westbrook into, because Patrick Beverly is strictly a 3 and D sort of guard, and you know exactly what to expect out of him. Yes. So from that standpoint, I think it helps us out tremendously. The addition by subtraction and then the addition of the type of player that Darvin Ham actually wants to have on this team without having to try so hard to make it happen. And then obviously with regards to who Patrick Beverly is as a person, he is very much that take no shits from anyone sort of leader in the locker room and on the court. Someone who can galvanize and light a fire under not only the young guys, but also your superstars in LeBron James and Anthony Davis as well. Right. He can be that extension of Darvin Ham and Darvin Ham's hard-nosed, gritty mentality as a coach. So I think that has great merit on this team. Outside of the fact that before this deal, we were already skewing very young with a lot of players with very little playoff experience. So having a legitimate adult in the room, having another legitimate adult in the room besides Anthony Davis and LeBron James, and one with a winning track record at that. I mean, Patrick Beverly has been to the playoffs in eight out of his 10 NBA seasons. That's crazy. (laughs) But all that to say, all of that is so invaluable. Yes. And then obviously with regards to his on-court play, you guys know the gist. It's knocking down open threes at a high rate, especially at the corners. He's a career 38% three-point shooter, hitting 1.7 a game, so that's great. He's also a very solid rebounder for a guard, and you know he'll always fight for those loose rebounds and balls. He can obviously play make in a pinch, 3.5 assists for his career, 4.6 last year, and he has a very, very low turnover rate. I think he only averages like 1 to 1.5 turnovers a season, and that is a huge difference from you know the 4, tur- four to 6 turnovers Russell Westbrook was uh, averaging a game last year. Um, and then the last two seasons, with, with regards to defensive stats, Pat Bev has actually almost averaged one steal and one block a game, which is so impressive because he's only playing like 22 to 25 minutes. And obviously, I don't need to go into his hounding tenacity on defense. So, Tommy, what are some of the positive attributes about Patrick Beverly that you're particularly drawn to? I think you like nailed most of it. But I think like the interesting thing with the Pat Bev stuff is and this is like why I'm like kind of looking internally to myself to see why am I not like more excited about it? Because in a vacuum, like when you think about what this team has needed since we won the championship and even when we won the championship, right? It was like 
on the championship roster, we had a ton of guys who were scrappy and tough and really like elite defenders, but they weren't necessarily all. In fact, most of them were not like elite kind of catch and shoot guys. Mm-hmm. What we've been like begging for for years is somebody who could play defense, you know, the traditional three and D like somebody who could play defense, but like is actually like can hit you like 38 to 40% on catch and shoot open threes. Yeah. And we just haven't had that. And Patrick Beverly brings you that. I mean, again, two years ago, and I know two years is like a very long time in the NBA, but two years ago, this guy was all NBA um, defense, Mm -hmm. right? Even though his reputation, I think has dipped a little bit compared to what it was three, four years ago. He's still like, if you look at these metrics among the elite point of attack defenders in the NBA. He's certainly much, much, much better than average. Right. And on top of that, he is a much better than average, you know, corner three-point shooter, catch and shoot from really all spots on the floor, a type of three-point shooter. I think one thing that, the only thing I'll add, because I think you really summarized everything that, you know, there is to be optimistic about this. The one thing that I'll add is it is really hard to judge this move like in a vacuum because... To me, this moves like I don't care what's going on on Twitter or what, and I of course I've been proven wrong a million times, and I'm sure I'll be proven wrong again. But you know, to me, this move has to mean that Russell Westbrook is gone, right? It yeah. like we traded for another guy who is actually an NBA caliber starting point guard, and it just so happens that these two guys like hate each other. And I know like <laughs> NBA rivalries are sort of fake rivalries, but like. As as recently as like last season, these these dudes were like fighting with each other, like during games and stuff, right? Um, so I don't think the intention is actually to bring in, you know, freaking Patrick Beverly and Russell Westbrook into training camp <laughs> and put them in a cage match and like make them fight <laughs> to the death with one another for you know the final or excuse me for the starting point guard position. So. You know, the Patrick Beverly trade to me is going to start making a lot more sense once we see what we get for Russell Westbrook. If we end up, for just for example, pursuing the Indiana trade where we get like a Buddy Heald who is not known as being a great defender but can light it up from three and can do things with the ball in his hands and can give you a little bit, frankly, more uh, you know, ball in hand, like on ball creation than probably Patrick. Bur- Beverly can in terms of creating his own offense, the fits start to make a lot more sense. And then if you think about a starting five, as you know, many people on Twitter are speculating of Patrick Beverly, Buddy Heald, LeBron James, Anthony Davis, and Miles Turner, that is like a potentially like elite, elite starting five defensively. Yeah. And, you know, as we've seen in recent years, the most important factor for, a team winning a championship in the NBA is being in the top three to five defensively. And that with that type of starting five, you are putting yourself in, in the conversation to being in that range. I personally think you're probably still like maybe top 10. So you're going to be really good, but not necessarily elite elite. But I think you're at least putting yourself in the conversation. And then from there, it's just however Darvin Ham figures out how to like use these guys, right? Yeah, and to your point, with regards to Buddy Heald being an absolute flamethrower from distance and being, honestly, one of the league's most prolific three-point shooters in its history, 
Understanding that his one big gaping hole is his deficiency on defense, pairing him up with a rabid defender like Pat Bev who can mask that weakness of his is pretty much all you could ask for. Because without Pat Bev, if we let's say we had just swung the Indiana deal on its own, it's like, okay, well, who's our starting backcourt? Buddy Heald and Austin Reeves? Or let's say we had done the Kyrie Irving deal, then it's Kyrie Irving and Austin Reeves. And look, no knock on Austin Reeves, but He is at this stage not as strong as Patrick Beverly and still doesn't have the veteran savviness that Patrick Beverly does to be able to play up on guys aggressively. So in any of these other scenarios with Buddy Heald and Kyrie Irving next to Austin Reeves as their starting backcourt, I mean, our backcourt perimeter defense would have been severely lacking. So now with Pat Bev, you can sort of patch things up in some capacity, in some respect, and worry a little less about your perimeter defense because you know you at least have a band-aid there while your prominent front court of Anthony Davis, LeBron James, and maybe Miles Turner, or even Damian Jones and Thomas Bryant, you know that your front court defensively can hold it down everywhere else. So now we at least have one linchpin in Patrick Beverly as part of our perimeter defense who can make sure we're not consistently bleeding from up top. Exactly. So Pat Bev just helps lock in yet another puzzle piece of shooting and perimeter defense that you don't need to worry about when moving forward and looking towards these other deals because you also still have all of your ammo and your picks at your disposal. And so to close this episode, speaking to those other deals, you know, we've talked a lot about the potential Indiana deal, but there's also another deal that could be had with the Utah Jazz again in a multi-team trade involving Donovan Mitchell. And so how do you feel about a second deal with Utah where we potentially get Bojan Bogdanovic and a Jordan Clarkson or maybe Malik Beasley. Maybe if we take on Mike Conley and his two-year contract, he has a $14 million guarantee on a $23 million contract for the 2023-24 season. So maybe if we take Mike Conley's two-year contract along with Bojan, maybe we can potentially even save another first-round pick down the line for ourselves and only give up one first for Utah to take Russell Westbrook and for us to get Conley and Bojan. And then I know it's kind of weird. You'd have Mike Conley potentially as your starting point guard and Pat Bev as a backup. But I guess you will also have upgraded your shooting while gaining back a little bit of size with Bojan, who's like 6'7", 6'8". But yeah, do you have a preference of what deal you'd like to see? It sounds like you're leading towards the Indiana deal. But do you think there's something there with the Utah package if we manage to deal with Danny Ainge again? Yeah, on the Utah trade... I'm going to be honest, I haven't been following it closely because it just never felt like that realistic to me. And by the way, I <laughs> that's fine. I mean, look, if we get like Mike Conley, who's also himself like a pretty good starting point guard, and then we get two wings, which are like, frankly, very, very huge positions of need for us right now. Yeah. I, I don't think it's a bad trade. I still lean more towards the Pacers trade because of the youth. You know, yeah. Conley, Bogdanovich, and I think I saw like Rudy Gay even was mentioned with the Ooh, with the Utah stuff. Like those are all like kind of pretty aging guys at this point. Um on a team that is going to have at least, you know, three or four guys like by default who are going to be somewhat older and injury prone. Um the reason I like the Pacers trade a little bit more is because you know, it solves the problem of 
you know, getting a floor spacing big next to AD, which I know we did try to address with the Thomas Bryant trade, or excuse me, Thomas Bryant signing in the offseason. But Miles Turner, to me, if he's, again, healthy, is, like, operating on a different level than Thomas Bryant. And it also gets you, like, you know, the big, like, probably the best gunslinger that LeBron has had, you know, since his Cleveland days in um, in Buddy Heald. Um mm-hmm. And I'm talking about, like, since LeBron had, like, Kyle Korver and J.R. Smith and all those guys, right? Because, like, Buddy Heald is just a flamethrower. And I know he has some defensive deficiencies, but he is at least, like, what is he, like, 6'3", 6'4"? He's not, like, super undersized. Um, And I think, like, in some of the advanced defensive analytics that have been floating around on Twitter, he's certainly no worse than Malik Monk was uh, for us defensively last year. And I know that's not a super high bar. But, you know, you put somebody like that next to Patrick Beverly on the perimeter, and I think, you know, you end up in a situation where, you know, to the extent Buddy Heald has had success as a defender, it's been in that, like, chaser role. And then you have Pat Bev, who, to the extent he's had success throughout his career, it's been at that, like, sort of point of attack role. And I think, like, it just, like, the synergies of that roster just sort of make a lot more sense to me. Um, Yeah. And, you know, I don't know if... Maybe there's somebody else, you know, maybe we include none and even and try to get somebody else because there are some free agent point guards still floating around um, who might be able to help us as well. Like, I I don't know. There's options. But it is interesting that we did do the two-for-one trade for Patrick Beverly, thereby opening another roster spot. Um, So even if we do do the, you know, trade Russ one for two, we're still going to have an open roster spot. And you know, and that's not even considering the fact that Wenyan is non-guaranteed, right? So there's definitely some some uh, some some more moves that could be made here, and I think for me, I'm just very very curious to see what comes next because it feels weird to make this Pat Bev trade in a vacuum unless you knew you had at least one Russ option that you felt very good about that, by the way, you you also not feel good, not just feel good about the trade, but you feel good that it's going to be there waiting for you when you're ready to make it. Yes, that is the hope. And we very much hope that is the case. Um, and to your point about the Lakers additional roster spot, even if we take in Buddy Heald and Miles Turner, we'll still have that one standard roster spot open for the taking, plus Wenyan Gabriel's non-guaranteed spot, which can be like a, a camp battle spot for other potential players. Maybe Cole Swider gets the standard deal or Jay Huff. Anyways, I think we obviously still need to address the size and length issue just for additional wing insurance and get another 6-7, forward to assume Stanley Johnson's position with one of those two spots or the, even that one spot. You know, there have been rumors about us maybe bringing Carmelo Anthony back, and I guess that's fine to help bolster our perimeter shooting, and obviously he'd be, be a great locker room guy. Um, but then I, if that's the case, if we get Carmelo Anthony, I'd then hope we'd swap Wenyan Gabriel for another defensive wing with versatility like a PJ Dozier, who can also give you some playmaking, or of course, a Utah Watanabe. But yeah, I guess just some additional length and size would be good. And, um, you know, maybe Wenyan Gabriel, because he is 6'9 with a 7-foot wingspan or whatever, proves himself uh, and has shown enough progress that he is a guy worth guaranteeing. But but yeah, I think we just need to add at least one more 6'7 to 6'9 forward, which is something we've been saying, you know, 
pretty much all off season. Um, <laughs> yeah. But again, as has been the case since the start of free agency for us, we'll just have to wait and see for the next next domino to fall. Because thus far, every step along the way, we've only been given fragments of the picture, and we've pretty much had to analyze everything in these very incomplete vacuums, surmising that the picture is still being built out, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And really, until the true domino falls, i.e. the Russell Westbrook trade, our thoughts on a lot of these moves are still going to be pretty scattered and caveat-laden, so just keep that in mind. But yeah, um, that'll pretty much do it for this unplanned Pat Bev instant reaction. We now wait with bated breath for Rob Palenka's next move so we can react in full to that as well with a more clearer idea of where your 2022-23 Lakers stand. But as of now, the Lakers just got a little bit more dog in them. So, woof woof. All right, with that said, we will catch you guys next time. Please remember to rate and review us five stars on the Apple Podcast app or the Spotify app. Do it for Tommy's incoming baby, baby. 100 Spotify five stars. Here we come. And yeah, Tommy, I will catch you later. Peace. Peace. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.